Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution and an election. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear as we keep you informed about Election 44, please subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of August 15th, including... Highlights of week one of election 44. Inflation being at its highest point since 2003. Is relief in sight? A massive earthquake hits Haiti only three years after its most recent hit. The world fears what will happen in Afghanistan now that the Taliban has taken over. Canadian millennials, we outside <laughs> of the country um. and getting COVID. Plus, joining us today is friend of the drip, Ryan Singh of Temple Scott & Associates, a government relations firm in Toronto, a GR and public affairs professional of Indo-Caribbean heritage with over 10 years experience in federal, provincial, and municipal politics. He specializes in advocacy campaigns with a focus on how dynamic, targeted, and informed messaging can captivate specific audiences. As a director with Temple Scott Associates, Ryan provides support to a number of high-profile clients achieving results on a variety of files. During his time in this role, he successfully advised clients on partnering with the Ontario and federal governments. Before his current role, Ryan had an extensive career at Queen's Park. During his time as the executive assistant to the chief government whip, he assisted with the management of government legislative business, including during a minority government period. Ryan specifically worked with the entire government caucus to ensure that the legislative agenda was achieved. Bomb bomb. At the community level, Ryan has managed, advised, or assisted with several local campaigns at the federal, provincial, and municipal level as a devoted liberal. Recently, he launched Politics, Art of Politics on Instagram, an Instagram account with daily tips on running a local election campaign. A son of Guyanese immigrants, he's a French lover like Patience and I, having earned his BA from York's Glendon campus and is proud to have been raised in Scarborough, Malvern to be exact. What's good, right? K to the Ertis. Patience. <laughs> yeah, that's what I called Curtis. Hey crew, thanks for the massive intro. And what's good? Well, it's hot, humid, muggy. Things have been a little sticky. And I, I'm not talking about the weather. I'm talking about, oh snap, we got a snap election, you guys. <laughs> I know, right? So to our listeners, as you probably guessed, throughout the election, we'll have esteemed political analysts joining us on the show to help you make sense of it all from our perspective. So patience. Ryan, you both ready to jump in? Let's do it. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. To kick off our politics segment, 
Let's look at the first week of election 44. It's lit. The writs have been dropped. And that means Canada's 44th election is officially underway. And in just over a month, by September 20th, we'll all be going to the polls to select a new government, perhaps even one of a different political stripe. At least that's a trend the polls have been on until recently. Taking a look at trusted poll aggregator 338.com, they show that the governing liberals started out at 35.4% national support at the start of the election, but have since slipped to 34.6%. The opposition conservatives started out at 29.7% and saw some gains. They're now at 30.4%. The NDP has remained pretty consistent, hovering around 20% support, while the Greens started the election at 5% and are essentially in the same place now. As the data shows us, there was a clear drop in liberal support, a clear uptick in conservative enthusiasm. The NDP remains in third place, but stable and with increased support over the 2019 election. While the Greens, well, they've lost support because of their infighting and the racism they've demonstrated to their own leader, Annamie Paul. So what happened this week that moved the polls? Although the Liberals started out in a strong position and Liberal leader Justin Trudeau is consistently recognized as being best for Prime Minister and recently best steward of the economy, they've taken an L or two over the past week for sure, probably because people are confused, annoyed, or both about why we're having an election in the first place. Of course, the Liberals would have accounted for this in their strategizing, but it's still noteworthy since the opposition took strains to say this was no time for an election, and it seems people agree. We'll see if that holds, though. The opposition may also have been successful in hammering Trudeau over high-ass inflation. More on that later. Then there was the weird announcements from both Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh about forcing federal workers to be fully vaccinated, or they'd, quote, face consequences. And I'll be honest, as someone who's fully vaccinated and is in full support of measures to get all Canadians vaccinated like yesterday, I'm not so sure that what they're calling for is the right approach. But we'll get into that a bit later too. Jumping to the cons. They started the campaign on a weak foot. I mean, despite the fact that O'Toole has more fundraising and had greenlit more candidates faster than the other parties, I literally heard O'Toole's voice shaking at the start of his campaign speech, probably because he's been under a lot of pressure to turn his and his party's fortunes around from the lows they've both been experiencing over the past few months in particular. O'Toole is currently the least liked leader of the three men. And it probably didn't help that in his first speech of the campaign, at least initially, dude was on the one hand claiming that Trudeau was putting our health at risk by calling an election, while simultaneously saying he wouldn't require his candidates, the very people who would be trying to engage people at their homes and in other public settings, to be vaccinated. Despite the reality that our elected leaders need to show leadership on this file, especially as we enter a fourth wave of the deadly Delta variant. Thankfully, the other parties see the light. But O'Toole seemed to have stopped some of that bleeding by using Trudeau as a punching bag over high inflation, due in part to low interest rates to stimulate the economy. For now. Jagmeet Singh seemed to have a nice smooth week, and I say nice and smooth as I'm stroking my imaginary beard here, as he does whenever he removes his mask before he speaks. It's, uh, it's mad swaggy. 
Even with the possibility that some progressive voters aren't entirely on side with him on his approach to mandatory vaccines for federal workers. It's worth noting that if people are annoyed by his stance, we haven't actually seen it translated the polls. He good. And then there's Annemie Paul. Despite some minor technical difficulties that took away from her first campaign speech, it was delivered well and with energy. Annemie even looked, dare I say, happy. And I think voters who are paying attention to her are willing to give her another chance, considering Green support fell to a low of 3.5% during the worst of their infighting, but has now climbed back up and very well could see their party achieve 6 to 7% national support again soon. So, Patience and Ryan, what were your perceptions of how each of the leaders did last week? Was there any announcement or anything last week that jumped out at either of you to illustrate what we're observing in the polls? So, you know, guys, there's there's about four things that really jumped out and you guys can pick which one. I can talk for hours probably about each of them and what they mean. <laughs> but what's critical to note is that two of the three major national parties released their platforms. In fact, the NDP actually released their platform prior to Trudeau visiting the governor general. So right. that's significant that they've already put their full plans out there. Mm-hmm. Um, another development, which I thought was really peculiar because the conservatives basically own and dominate um, Alberta, is that three of the major leaders, so Trudeau, O'Toole, and Jagmeet Singh, have all visited Alberta, and it's not even technically been seven days. Mm-hmm. Something else that's really stood out to me and bothers me, because although I'm not a member of the Green Party, I still have an admiration for what Anna Paul's Paul is doing, but mm-hmm. I don't think she's been north of Bloor Street yet, <laughs> and she is a national party leader, and it wow. bothers me a little bit to see that. Uh, the last thing... And, you know, this has probably been the one that's gone viral is uh, the O'Toole campaign platform cover. Um, <laughs> it's, it, uh, it, it's 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 not what man's are saying. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what, guys, though, it says it says a lot about what the conservatives, how they want to portray him, yeah. what image they want to send and what mm-hmm. they're trying to make him to be. Um, you know, they're competing against Trudeau, who is actually older than, than O'Toole, mm-hmm. um, but appears younger and more youthful. Um, they're trying to portray him as active, vibrant, you know, um, kind of putting him up against Trudeau. But the question is, is it actually going to work? And the one thing I find is, is when you take a politician and you start molding them and mending them into something that they're not, they mm. become and they look uncomfortable but voters see right through that, and that is that could that could backfire um, significantly against the conservatives. So anyways, you think he, you th- you think Aaron looks uncomfortable right now? Because I honestly I, I I'm watching him every day, and I, I don't think so, to be honest. So he's obviously got his groove. I think he's um he's picking up pace. Um, what I think is interesting is that yeah, he's taken off the tie. He's going for more of a casual look. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they've probably done some polling and. Um, done some testing to say that this can work. Mm -hmm. The thing we haven't really seen with O'Toole is the Conservatives set up the studio in Ottawa um, to do a lot of his announcements from. It's where he released the platform on Monday. He's going to be going out now. I think today his first stop is in Edmonton. So to see him interact with voters um, and do a stump speech that would be, I think that's going to be the true test is how he responds and reacts. Now there's 
Edmonton's probably a safer spot for him to, to test that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the campaign progresses, he definitely seems like the type of guy that's going to pick up steam and that the Liberals and the NDP really need to watch out for because if Canadians start seeing him as a likable person, you know, his p- platform is fairly moderate. It could it could bleed the Liberals um, some support in some strategic places. Yeah, I uh, I was spending some some hours poring over the platform last night, and it, it is fairly. Mo- There's some things that jump out at me that are problematic, but it is yep. definitely a moderate platform that I think a lot of people might have a decent time or a, an easier time swallowing than past conservative platforms. Patience, what did you think? I want to expand on something that Ryan said about all of, or not all, but three of the leaders having um, been to Alberta already. I think that there, there's something there, uh, particularly as as that province has has handled the pandemic a little bit differently. As we move through, um, you know, how we're going to approach the fourth, the rest of the fourth wave, and um, how Canada is going to recover from the pandemic, I think Alberta is going to be a really interesting space where uh, a platform that might work in the other nine provinces um, might be harder to to push through. Um, Alberta. And and I say this, you know, having a significant extended family living in Alberta, folks Mm -hmm. don't wear masks, folks folks don't socially distance, uh, folks are not interested uh, in in many cases in being vaccinated. Um, So it's just, it's a different place. And uh, yeah, so I I think that that we should really be paying some attention to Alberta, particularly the, the, the millennial population in Alberta. I think they might surprise us and the conservatives might need to do some some work there. I can jump in here and, uh, you know, patience, like to everything you're saying, Alberta's really living up to that Wild West um, definition that <laughs> it, it, it's very unreal. And people who live in Toronto and Ontario, and we're seeing these restrictions being lifted and we're seeing people going unvaccinated, no masks. Um, it, it does look like a whole different world out there. But there's a couple takes when I see all these leaders going to Alberta, one is, you know, Jagmeet Singh's got a seat to hold there. Mm-hmm. Um, I The Liberals were polling ahead in two seats, one in Calgary and one in Edmonton. They might want to try and benefit off of Jason Kenney's unpopularity or mm-hmm. growing unpopularity out there. But I think Trudeau, as a national leader, has to do one stop in Alberta. He has to do one stop in Saskatchewan. I think he's getting that out of the way since mm-hmm. he flew out to B.C., did those stops. What that also does too, and I'm not sure if the Liberals thought about this strategy or not, but if Trudeau's there, pumps them up in the polls a little bit, it actually makes the Conservatives worry and it makes them refocus their resources out to Alberta, which is a place where the Conservatives shouldn't have to be spending much time. So, and as mentioned earlier, where is um, Aaron O'Toole going? He's going to Edmonton. Mm -hmm. Why why does the, the 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 conservative leader need to go to Edmonton to shore up shore up? Because votes? he has forsaken the. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think it's a little bit of strategy on the Liberals to, to draw Aaron O'Toole out of his studio in Ottawa, send him to the West, so then Trudeau can go focus on Quebec, South Southern Ontario, um, and then shore up the the support he needs in Atlantic Canada. Mm-hmm. Well, shifting gears a little bit, something that I touched on earlier in the podcast, a question on mandatory vaccines. Do you mm-hmm. agree with the progressive party's stances of vaccinate or else for federal workers? Oh, 
I mean, so from from an equity, diversity, and inclusion perspective, we're working through this. Um, you know, at, at workplaces across the country, mm-hmm. um, there are lots of folks who, prior to this pandemic, were were anti vaxxers when it comes to, you know, vaccines that that get rid of polio and vaccines that like like common vaccines that, that everyone has to take. Mm-hmm. So it, it it really is a, a, a diversity issue primarily, and we can't just exclude people. From, from the society because you know their 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 core values uh, go against um, vaccination, so it, it gets a little bit sticky. But I think if we push people to the point where they have to explain why they're not getting the vaccine and and it's not something that that's, that's kind of reasonable. Yeah, it, it has to it has to be reasonable. It has to be a conversation. We can't just not talk about you know, why people are not getting vaccinated because we, we need to deal with this. Um, but I, I do think that there is a sizable minority of people, probably 10 to 15%, who um, it, it goes against their core values as Jehovah's Witnesses or as, you know, certain Jewish sects, rather. So it, it's a real thing. It's not something that we can just say, oh, everybody needs to get it, but uh, it needs to be reasonable. I do. I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I do feel, um, I don't feel, I, I know that they've, they've actually said if you ha- or have a medical exemption or um, a spe- specific religious exemption, you know, those are valid and those are allowed. Um, so, yeah, in certain cases, I, th- I think there is a conversation and there is space. Um, to, to answer Curtis's question, I mean, I do support it because it, it's, it's, it's not necessarily about you when you're working in these spaces. It's about mm-hmm. um, safety for the workplaces themselves as an, as an employer. You know, the government needs to provide a safe working space for its its other employees, and they need to provide a safe working experience um, and space for, for their consumers. So by requesting that staff, the federal employees, take the vaccine, um, they're not saying go protect yourself. They want to protect everybody else around them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I, I support it. Um, but I, patients, I, I get it. There's a, there's a hesitation. And you go back to the it's your body, it's your decision approach. But just remember, when all of us went to school when we were younger, we, we had a bunch of vaccines in us. We had to have proof of, proof of vaccination on so many other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's not – the people who talk about this uh, – you have to get a vaccine or take your vaccine. It, they're acting like vac- this is the first time we've ever had vaccines in our life. I feel like I, I get it's a new vaccine, but it's it's still, I, I find it so odd that it's just so uncommon for people to, to, to understand that science has built a vaccine to prevent a disease and the importance around taking it. So, so fundamentally, I agree with you, Ryan, um, but I, I absolutely have a problem with this approach where you're telling uh, public uh, public uh, employees, uh, public servants, that if they don't get vaccinated, they will be fired. When we know that there's a better approach, particularly one that's being vocalized by the Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca, saying, "Listen, if, if you if you if you have serious concerns or." or particular reasons why you can't get vaccinated, we will work with you, with your unions, et cetera. We will ensure that there is a place for you that is not on the front lines, that is hopefully in the same pay grade, all that kind of stuff to ensure that there's there's fairness and equity in uh, bringing in such a system. 
So when I heard, I mean, literally Tamika and I were talking the other day and she first told me about Jigmeet saying that, uh, you know, vaccinate or else. And I said, well, why the hell would he say that when we know that there's a more reasonable approach? And then I heard Trudeau say the same thing, I guess, playing after Jagmeet and making sure that he has a access to the progressive vote. And, and I said, what? Why are you guys vocalizing in such an aggressive manner again when there's no need for this? So my approach is, yes, I we, we absolutely need to get everybody vaccinated and we need to have a, a full pronged approach to do that, including um, getting rid of the carrot and bringing out some more of the stick. However, here's the reality of the situation, right? Whether it's, I believe it's either Ontario or all of Canada, we're expecting that by the end of the year, 90% of the population is going to be vaccinated anyway, right? So it's really just 10% of people that we have to focus on. And, and we don't have to be so aggressive with this 10%. The one concern that you have about this, 10, this last 10% is with the Delta variant, it's highly contagious, it's, it's easily uh, mutated. And so uh, amongst this 10% of the population, there could be mutations that essentially render all of us who have already gotten vaccinated, renders those vaccines useless, and that'd be obviously problematic. But I don't think we're there yet. And so I just don't think there's a need for all this aggressiveness. That's my take. Curtis, if I could jump in just really briefly. The reason why I think they're being that aggressive is because they know it's popular and they know it's what the majority of Canadians want to hear. So it's a bit of a political play, too, to say that we want to make sure that people are vaccinated, especially for the progressive parties, because the progressive parties aren't at fear of losing many votes if they take this stance, mm -hmm. they're not hurting their base if they take the stance. So they see it as safe to go out there and say this. And like I said, the majority of Canadians do actually um, appreciate this approach. And to your point, I think we're somewhere in seven, the 70% range of Canadians who've been, or 72%, yeah. who've been va double vaccinated and will probably hit 90 eventually. Well, we know it's still early days and anything can change over the next 30-ish days, especially when we start listening to the leaders' debates. As the campaign unfolds, know that you can trust us to keep you informed from our perspective. Jumping to the Canadian economy. Canada's inflation jumped to 3.7% in July, fam. It could go higher. Oh me, oh me, oh my eye. <laughs> Things expensive, you see? Come on. Everything feels way up. And as a result, we don't feel blessed. What the ass is going on, man? Turns out Canada's inflation shot up in July at the fastest pace in a decade, driven by a mix of expensive ass housing and supply chain problems that have made life less affordable and made affordability an issue in the first week of election 44. StatsCan reported inflation rose year over year to 3.7% in July, up from 3.1% in June. That's the fourth consecutive month. Inflation has exceeded the Bank of Canada's target of 1% to 3%. So what exactly has gotten more expensive? Well, what it exactly hasn't gotten more expensive? Real estate, couches, cars, gas, and groceries have all gone up. Gone out to eat recently? I have. The parties too, fam. <laughs> you know what I say each time I see my bill? Like, it's the first time? Bumba! In fact, the biggest driver of consumer price index increase 
was housing. The homeowner's replacement cost index, which is tied to the price of new homes, rose 13.8% year over year, the largest annual increase since 1987. And the index that tracks other expenses for owned accommodation, including commission fees for real estate sales, was up 13.4% year over year as well. Derek Holt, head of capital market economics at the Bank of Nova Scotia, said in a note, quote, housing became more inflationary during July, and it's not done yet. Even though demand for housing has slowed, there's still very tight supply, and so we may not see price relief for some time, end quote. The price of durable goods? Well, that's expensive as hell because of supply chain disruptions around the world that are making it hard to source crucial manufacturing materials as well as finished goods. The price of passenger vehicles, for example, as an overall category, rose 5.5% year over year, which StatsCan says was, quote, partially attributable to the global shortage of semiconductor chips, end quote. And furniture? Linen furniture prices in particular shot up 13.4% year over year, also from supply chain bottlenecks and steeper shipping costs. But also, new tariffs on furniture introduced in May by Canada to meet China and Thailand's dumping of cheap furniture that Canadian suppliers can't hope to compete with. And by the way, that's a move that many Canadian manufacturers were calling for. As James Marple, senior economist at TD Bank, said in a note, Quote, the pandemic's effect on price growth is not only on the supply side, where production disruptions are adding to the cost of manufactured goods like autos, but also on demand, where policy supports have driven robust spending on housing and durable goods items. We're also starting to see the impact of faster price growth in reopening services sectors like restaurants, end quote. Gas was up 30.9% in July year-over-year, driven largely by year-over-year comparisons in lower gas prices earlier in the pandemic. That price increase is slightly lower than in June. The price of food, that rose 1.7% in July year-over-year, with restaurant food prices increasing 3.1%, and grocery store prices increasing 1%. And we're feeling it and vocalizing our feelings. An abacus poll found 83% of representative Canadians said they worry at least a little about their cost of living, so we know the anxiety is widespread. Now, as we pointed out a few times on the pod before, a big reason inflation is so high is because of year-over-year comparisons to lower prices earlier in the pandemic when things grinded to a halt. Despite inflation being above target, the Bank of Canada will probably continue on course treating this period as temporary or transitory, as they call it, meaning they won't raise interest rates currently at a low low of 0.2.5% until the second half of next year, according to numerous economists. The central bank said last month that it expects overall inflation to remain above 3% for the rest of 2021, hitting an average of 3.9% in Q3 before dropping close to 2% next year and sustainably at 2% by 2024. So that's a lot. Did you pay attention to what the party leaders had to say about how they'd address cost of living? What did you think? So, I mean, the first thing is that Trudeau was asked the question, and this is what's really brought it into the campaign. Hmm. And his response was, I don't pay attention to monetary policy. I pay attention to families. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might actually backfire um, on him during the campaign. 
but I do, I do totally understand where he's coming from mm-hmm. because, and Curtis, you've known this. I've worked on a lot of elections since I was 14 years old. So mm-hmm. I've never knocked on a door once and somebody say, and because maybe it wasn't an issue back then, that, oh, inflation is going up. What people do say is things are not affordable. And then they cite the specific what's not affordable. So by Trudeau not necessarily talking about inflation as inflation, but then breaking it down to a plank, aka here, related to families, he's actually stripping it back and making it relatable to people. Right. I will say on this note, though, so I read the conservative um, platform, I've read the NDP platform. Everybody has the word affordability in there. They have sections that are dedicated to it. The liberal platform is going to come out soon. Um, the Green Party will probably see something soon as well. Um, and the Bloc's releasing their platform tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I They all try. And it's funny. It's interesting to see how everybody approaches affordability. But I still don't think any of them actually are properly addressing affordability. No. They're addressing affordability to certain niches in society. Just tinkering on the edges. Exactly. So the child care plan that the liberals are touting and, you know, that they're that they're pushing really hard. Um, that's great. But I don't, I don't have kids. I ain't got no kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, so patients has kids, though. So that's that's a different story. I'm going to say, like, you know, you guys. <laughs> so patients, Trudeau's talking to you and he doesn't care about me and Curtis, basically. <laughs> Unless we're business owners. <laughs> you know, the, the conservatives. They, uh, the one thing that O'Toole might get some traction on, and maybe this is where he's got some attention this week, is this GST holiday. So basically for the entire month of December, it's going to be tax-free. So you're going to have no GST on most things you buy. Um, maybe that's going to get some attention out that's there. A, maybe uh, it, it's that. not as big as the, the Stephen Harper 1% um, percent drop. I do think it's ironic, though, that he's, going to give us a tax-free Christmas when we don't even know if we're going to be able to celebrate Christmas proper this year again. So um, we'll see how that pans out. What and, I'm hearing... Uh, oh, sorry. Go on. Sorry, no, go, Chris. No, I, I thought you were done. I was just going to tack on. I, I can talk for hours, but I'm never done. <laughs> <laughs> on the GST holiday, I mean, what I'm seeing is that it's it's really more of a gimmick. When I really thought about it, though, I, 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 I took it in and I'm like, okay, well, if I was looking to buy a car in December. I was looking to buy something or just doing regular Christmas shopping because it is one of the most uh, – one of the biggest months of activity for spending, right? Obviously, it's the end of the year and it's Christmas. So it really does in your psyche say, oh, wow, I have a bit more spending money or, or, or my money goes a little longer. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not actually helping the economy um it, it isn't actually truly helping people nope. right it, it's it, it's money that they were going to spend anyway they get to save some of it it so it, it's it's more of a gimmick to me um his housing plan is kind of interesting patience what did you think about uh any of the uh what the leaders had to say about inflation or did, what are, are what are your thoughts about the cost of living right now well, I think that since the beginning of the pandemic, um, at least the official opposition has been making a lot of comments on uh, how all of the government spending is going to affect inflation. So I was expecting more of that kind of talk, like, oh, if we hadn't have had done all of these things to protect people during the pandemic, then we wouldn't have this inflation problem that we're having. So, I mean, th- this is pretty predictable. I-, I don't think anyone is 
I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, I kind of expected prices of things to go up um, mm. because like all of the monopolies have, have really benefited off of, of this, of, of what, what has been happening and competition has been shot in the foot and there's nothing that anybody could have done about that in the, over the last 18 months. So, I mean, sure, um, inflation is, is high, but it, it, it'll come down just like the bank, just like the central bank said, it, it'll come down and, and things will go back to, to what, what we ha- had expected the, the normal inflation to look like, not back to normal. You know what's really interesting? When I was looking at the conservative platform, I found it uh, their 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 words are not matching their actions because, as as we all know, you know the conservatives will consistently say we're spending too much, we're putting ourselves in debt. Look at the deficit! Ah, rah 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 rah. Right. If you look at their platform, they actually outline, "Hey, look, the spending that we had to do for the pandemic, it's reasonable." And you know what they did? Even oh. past that, they literally <laughs> broke down and said, "Look, if you look at the deficit, this 400 plus billion dollar debt, it's actually not structural. 30 billion is what was before the pandemic. That's easy. This is what we spent on the pandemic in this area, that area, that area. These supports are going to end soon, so this is not a structural deficit. It'll be fine as long as we grow the economy. They are literally saying what they beat the government on for what they say. Ryan, you you call that politics? Is that one of the politics that you? <laughs> politics is not about the the tricks of uh, like that that per se. But um, I do want to comment on one thing Curtis said about this GST holiday because it is a bit gimmicky. Mm. I know, Curtis, you said that, oh, you can go buy a car. I actually think a car is exempt and it won't be part of the GST. Wow. Okay, hold on. Wow. But, you know, um, look, the conservatives are on to something is that one of the best ways to give Canadians a break is to cut taxes mm-hmm. and cut GST. And I actually think what we should do and, you know, the Liberal Party has an opportunity because they haven't released their platform yet, is look at some sort of permanent tax cut on home and family essentials. If Trudeau actually wants to, or any political party leader wants to um, help families, then, you know, toilet paper, baby diapers, mm. etc. those are the things that we need to buy every single day. And they could actually take the GST off permanently. And that's actually real relief to Canadians. You know what's going to happen in December with this GST cut if Aaron O'Toole becomes prime minister? Everybody's going to go buying their house supplies and and you know their home accessories and electronics. People like you remember when the pandemic started and you can find toilet paper? Exactly. It's going to be like that all over again because there's going to be no GST. So I just think you need to look at a long-term sustainable way um, and a long-term way that helps vulnerable persons who um that that extra tax on 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 essential goods it hurts them yep. so i think there's a medium ground um you know i'm i'm hoping the green party you know i hope anime comes out with some ideas too um on affordability um they should be running on a platform of affordable and green canada and mm-hmm. those two should be the combination so um and and the ndp you know there <laughs> somebody was joking that the ndp's platform it's pretty much the, the 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 platform from 2019 all over again. I think even one of the photos from the 2019 platform <laughs> made it back into this one. Oh no! And they're on pharmacare, affordable post-secondary education, and internet and cell phone bills. Again, it, it they're consistent, which is good. 
but with the NDP, you expect them to be a little bit more big with their thinking. Um, so we'll see what happens um, over the course of the campaign and how this story might actually um, increase. But affordability, I've noticed, and sorry, I'm talking a lot, guys. I, I'm just politics, right? Um, <laughs> but, um, but affordability, since I've been knocking doors when I was younger, has become more of more of an issue every single campaign. And every time there's a new election, it becomes a bigger issue than anything else. And people are feeling it much harder now. Um, the one saving grace Trudeau will have is all of the subsidies and all the programs he ran over the pandemic when people couldn't work. And he needs to tout some of that because, frankly speaking, that saved a lot of households um, from total bankruptcy. My own included. Good day, good day, good day, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. You know how we do it. As always, because our conversation was a little lengthy this time around, we split it up for your listening convenience. Next up in part two of episode 65, Patience, Ryan, and I dive into Black v. Black, Black, and world issues as they relate to our federal election. And by the way, if you didn't know, we launched the Afro-Canadian Political Literacy Foundation, or ACPLF, on August 16th. Our mission is to improve political literacy among Black and allied millennials and to advocate for policy that reflects our socioeconomic needs. And we'll be using numerous tools to do it including this podcast. Check us out at acplf.org and sign up for our newsletter so we can keep you informed. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.